broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. Hello, welcome everybody to a, another Highlight Cast, uh, joined as usual by Kevin Long. Hey, Kevin. Adam, how's it going? Good. Also joined with two guests this week with Ashley Nichols, who uh, leads the corporate strategy and development here at uh, Highlight. Hey, Ashley. Hello. And also uh, Emily Scantleberry, who runs our BD operations um, and supports uh, Capture. Uh, Emily, how are you? Hey, Adam. Hey, group. Doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. So... Our topic for today that we wanted to talk about, so we actually went to a real live conference, uh, which is, to my knowledge, I think it's the first one that we've been to since uh, March of 2020 is my it's my recollection, because um, I know we talked about in one of the, the previous episodes, I think uh, Kevin and I had taken the, our last couple corporate out-of-town trips, really, as far as travel but so this was a to the hymns 2021 conference in las vegas uh hymns 2020 was uh canceled i guess i, I think yeah. you know maybe some of the topics might have been just merged into 21 but so the first question how did the conference operate as far as you know kind of things are you know certainly different i know that i think hymns happened right on the 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 cusp of you know masks on masks off um you know that actually any any kind of reactions from just what it's like going back to a conference after all this is you know gone on for two years now yeah it was definitely kind of weird but you know i think like hymns required everybody participating to be vaccinated, right? And you had to either show your card or use one of the new um, Vax Passport up to, uh, apps, like uh, Clear has one, for example, that's free, um, that stores your info. But I think that the fact that it was spread out over like three hotel and casinos, you know, kind of it burst that bubble a little bit because you had to go through so many <laughs> regular folks. Um, I think that's not usually the case when they have it in Orlando at the convention center. I think that this year was kind of like, um, it was kind of like the Olympics, right? Where we kept calling the Olympics, the 2020 Olympics. There was a lot of signage that still was like from 2020 hymns. Like they pushed a lot of it forward. They held it in Vegas in August because I think they just wanted to get it done so they can get back on track. For, for 2022, it's going to be in the spring again back in Orlando. Um, but it was good. The people in Vegas, surprisingly, were very mask compliant. Um, we didn't see any dust ups or anything, as you might see in Sin City or you might expect. But I felt like people were good and places were really pretty strict about having people mask and reminding them to remask and things like that. So, um, all in all, not bad. Gotcha. And from... Uh him standpoint so is it normally in orlando is that the their typical location i'm not sure it's like always in orlando but it is definitely a heavy favorite for that um and that is where it will be again in this coming march um and it is then in the convention center i think it's been in new orleans before too um but i think las vegas was one of the first places really open to getting conferences going again um and maybe was able to accommodate their schedule nobody chooses to go to vegas in august really so (laughs) 
Yeah, I did notice that. I, I We had talked a, a little bit about what events we think we might be going to. And I know uh, Emily and I had talked about one that is in Detroit in December. So, <laughs> yep. yeah, that and Vegas in August are probably – I'm guessing somebody got a break on the uh, the, the conference costs to be able to, to make and that. Vegas happen. was crazy heat wave then too, right? Uh, yeah, it was 105, 102, but it's you know it's a desert, 102, 105. So during the day, so, it's so you only burst into flames after five minutes out in the in the air instead of. Well, yeah. The even funnier thing is they're always like, "Oh, it's a dry heat," but uh, every all the locals were complaining that it was unseasonably humid there while we were there, and we're talking like 35 percent. So for us, that's like nothing. But wow. for a place that's used to like zero humidity, they were so sweaty and uncomfortable like <laughs> I felt bad I was like oh wow really okay <laughs> but Ashley, you know I was just going to say to Ashley's point it was um, it was of course our first conference back and I was really intrigued to see how some of the logistics were going to run like the check-in process because we did have to show that proof of vaccination you had to make sure everybody was wearing a mask the entire time and it was very smooth so credit to the show organizers you know hims is such a big presence across multiple industries or you know a number of people there um, and I was really pleasantly surprised at how smooth it was operating. Yeah, which does leave me, Emily, I was going to ask what, for anybody that hasn't been before, so HIMSS is kind of the premier health IT conference, but it, it it's it's commercial and government, but what, how would you summarize kind of the overall scope of the, of the conference? Great question. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty large. Um, it spans big pharma, um, individuals who run networks of hospitals, uh, federal government, federal health IT. Um, and so the scope of the conference, you know, touches across that space, whether that's looking at trends in the commercial space, looking at trends of um, emerging healthcare techniques, emerging healthcare new tools and technologies like physical hardware, physical software, um, things of that nature, all the way to like talking about COVID uh, response uh, on the government side and um, how the government is allocating, you know, um, funds not only in response to the COVID pandemic currently, but how we're going to uh, respond to pandemics in the future. Um, so, you know, it was very vast, uh, a number of breakout sessions all happening concurrently. Um, it, it's really interesting to be able to see all those different kind of flavors in the health IT space kind of come together and and find the commonalities across industries well very cool yeah it's, it's a conference i've not been to before i've typically as far as conferences i i think i err on the side of, of act iac or fc a kind of government industry organization conferences as opposed to um kind of focused line of business uh conferences but I, I know a lot of people that have gone. I know link, the LinkedIn streams as everybody was out there, you know, a lot of it felt like, you know, hundreds of posts a day from uh, from people that were out there. So as far as major areas of discussion, um, so a Ashley, did you have like 
thoughts as to what really stuck out to you as far as major kind of conversation or themes to the to the yeah i'd say you know emily and i stuck a lot to the ones that were based around federal health care right so they had federal they had a federal health care pavilion um and so folks who were sort of focused on that um and then the conference from the mini breakout rooms around that had a lot of things focused um on issues within sort of federal health care. So you had VA and DHA, uh, sorry, DHA, um, HHS folks, a lot were the speakers there or people who support them from, from GovCon. So I think a lot of our stuff was focused there. Obviously, there was a ton of talk about COVID and the ways that it has changed healthcare, the ways that it has changed technology to provide healthcare, um, and, and some innovations around there that I, I think Emily will talk about one that we found super intriguing in, in a minute. Um, there was a lot of talk about sort of usability and viability in this intersection of creating tools that are functional for the industry, but also more user friendly and intuitive there, you know, and, and that's on a broader scale. That's not just federally focused, but um, as VA and DOD often remind us, they're, you know, the biggest healthcare provider in the country with the services they provide for veterans. So, um, they have to be very customer focused in a lot of ways too. And a lot of systems are focused very much on provider needs and not necessarily user needs, but even on the provider side, not necessarily really understanding what it is the nurses in these hospitals are doing or the, or the providers are actually doing and, and how they need to use the system. So um, I saw, you know, a number of things about modernization and design you know, in discussion around the IT. And what else, Emily? We heard a lot about some emerging tech and, um, you know, biometrics information, how biomet the rise of biometrics is not only helping secure a lot of the new softwares and, and um, user interfaces out there, but it's also helping improve the usability for those users. So um, kind of looking forward into the future, you know, how biometrics might change um, the way in which we're developing software uh, and the way in which we're kind of as end users, even in our civilian lives, um, y- using that software. We saw that a lot. I think, and there was a lot about obviously data, um, electronic health records, uh, records portability, which is equally as applicable within, you know, sort of the federal spaces as it is with uh, commercial spaces, um, and then security around that data. This is my my new favorite buzzword that I'm eager to learn more about. This homomorphic encryption, which is really about securing large amounts of of data in the cloud that's really specific to, uh, not specific, but very applicable, obviously, to the healthcare industry. But it also allows you to run a lot of processes on that data or maybe extract useful information from that data without decrypting it. So you never use the security features while still being able to run processes on it. That's the big thing there. And, and interestingly, we recently did a survey at ACT-IAC of government IT leaders and people supporting IT leaders to figure out which emerging technologies were going to be super important to them over the next five years. And this homomorphic encryption was at the top of that list as well. So I went from, you know, not knowing about it three months ago to now repeatedly hearing it, hearing about it and, and seeing it, you know, as, you know, really kind of an emerging technology focus for, for some of our government customers. You know, and I think protecting it, that kind of information, um, and I think back, I, I was involved at one point in uh, 
training for HIPAA implementation at the point where HIPAA kind of started. And that was pre-cloud. So at that point, it was kind of simple. You just said, look, either this system holds PII or it doesn't. And if it does, we just note that. And you have to get an extra level of approval if you're going to have any data exchange with that system. But they were physical systems. And you could say, well, we know where it's stored because like you could point to the box and say what's right there. And uh, as as that becomes cloud driven, you know, there's so many things that that cloud has revolutionized so many things and data exchange is so much different and processing and everything else. But that kind of security is is so much more complicated. Uh, you know, we see that with with CUI. Uh, we see that with with II. Um, once once you get information and it's kind of just everywhere and then it replicates the places and all of that, there's a, a lot of complexity that comes well, into that. And I think that this aims to um, remove the necessity for that replication, right? Which is that you'd have like one version that's complete with PII, then you'd have one that was stripped out or slightly different for another system to use and another system to use. You don't ever have to unencrypt the data to run the business processes that you need to from a central location, then you can, I guess, have a more singular data source or data lake of all that information and run multiple processes out of it. And it'll be so much faster not having to unencrypt the data to, to do do the work on it and then just have the response. The the data that, that is worked on with the, the encrypted data also be remaining encrypted so that mm-hmm. work product of that remains encrypted and it's all there. And it, it's so much more than just encrypted in transit, encrypted at rest. Now it's... Yeah, so I would expect to see more of this in, in things. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw something, if this would pop up, say, at the ACT-IAC you know, conference coming up in the fall, that kind of stuff. I think we're going to see a little bit more um, about that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in it, especially as we start talking about you know, larger data management issues and, and, you know, the theory, the concept of creating data lakes and all of that stuff. uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. So an interesting topic, um, you know, we talk about AI a lot and I think a lot of these topics, you know, I've seen before, whether it be the, um, you know, the, the Gartner magic quadrant, they also have a hype cycle of, of where things are. If nobody's ever looked at that before, their hype cycle is, where something is from the standpoint of being talked about to actually being understood to being in production to where it really is kind of a tested technology. And I think AI was there a while ago. Like I, I, you know, at the point where people were talking about cloud, they didn't really know what it was. They just, they heard that it was good. And so they wanted some. Um, And I think AI was there a couple of years ago. We had conversations as we would be, you know, solutioning deals or we're talking about programs where AI was on the roadmap, but it didn't necessarily have a definition to it. Um, I have seen, you know, and I think this ties into PII, I will say one of the things that that we've done internally is we now use an AI-driven tool that, that monitors our enterprise for PII. So even after you've had a policy established that says, hey, don't, don't send this in an unencrypted manner, don't email this out, et cetera, I mean, you can tell everybody what to do, but 
you know, when, when, when you, anytime you see the grass worn because people don't want to walk the sidewalk, you know that people are going to do what they're going to do at some levels. So we've, we've implemented AI tools so that we're constantly looking for things people might be doing that are, are a risk from a, a PII or CUI. So I do think there's an intersection of AI with that. But I'm curious, did you guys have – I know that there were there was AI on the agenda. I'm, I'm wondering what kinds of you – know, how much of it was talked about and, and what areas you, you, know, you, you heard people discussing AI at HIMSS? Yeah, so we, we heard a lot of AI, and that's to be expected. I feel, you know, AI has been, to your point, Adam, talked about for a couple of years now. And I think as an industry at large, even outside the federal sector, it's something that we are all learning on what that actually looks like from an implementation um, and execution standpoint. Uh, the large kind of message that I heard, especially on the first day during one of the CIO panels, was how our understanding understanding of AI um, is uh, changing a bit, especially with the rise of global pandemics, the rise of natural disasters. Um, you know, when when these events occur, it's feeding these algorithms that have been driving AI for that AI bot for years. Um, it's kind of skewing their data and it, it's changing the way that that the AI is thinking um, and changing the way that they're ingesting uh, and behaving um, as a result of that data ingestion. So um, it's kind of begging the question of what new role do, does human data cleansing play inside of AI and, and the expansion of that. I think, you know, a big takeaway that I really heard frequently was it's, it's going to be a bigger footprint than what we had initially anticipated as an industry, um, where we thought, you know, hey, we can build these algorithms, we can create these massive data lakes, um, feed it into the AI and, and kind of let it do its thing, you know, it's going to require much more of a human footprint. Um, so it was interesting to really listen in, um, because of course, COVID was a big theme on on how that how that's kind of skewing um, some of that. Yeah, I, I think it's that's where for me the conversations about how much can be automated, it, tuning AI and having human engagement. It, it usually is not just one or the other. Uh, there's usually some sort of you need to have kind of a, a well-defined charter for what you're trying to accomplish, and then you can decide how much of it is technology and how much of it is people, uh, which I think ties into something else that when I've supported health IT, it's mostly been health and human services, HRSA, NIH, uh, those kinds of organizations, uh, a, a little bit, very little on the like the DHA or, or VA side. I've been, you know, at so back when I was you know, CACI years back, uh, they had quite a bit of VA work. And so I would talk to those teams. But as far as direct support, it was always the kind of the HHS side of the world. Um, and there were different parts of the government, at least from my experience, where some agencies, when they were tackling a technology problem, it was a technology lead supported by the kind of medical health science community. And then in others, it was the reverse. It was the, the mission science 
your customer was a doctor, your customer was a research scientist, and um, and technology was very much just an enabler. Uh, and interested, you know, whoever wants to 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 jump in first, the perspective of the technology and and health balance and. I mean, was this an IT conference with with medical aspects? Was it a health conference with IT, or is it more integrated than that? Either of you have thoughts around that angle? I think you know it. The message was it's truly a mix um, where we are in a boom right now of information technology expansion from physical tools that are getting better every year to AI, to software that's getting stronger and it's getting integrated more and more into our lives daily. Um, I think the big message that we heard was it's not a Band-Aid where we have challenges as an industry to better serve your end users, whether those are doctors or that's a network of hospitals or that's understanding and visualizing data trends to better prepare for the next pandemic. Um, a software only takes you so far. Um, you know, it, it really is driven by people and whether or not um, your organizations, whether that's DHA or highlight um, whether your organization is equipped from a process standpoint and from a people standpoint to really implement and leverage and and um, capitalize on, on that new information technology. So it was definitely a mix of both. We heard some really cool new IT trends, but we also heard some of the challenges like this AI piece where, hey, there, there needs to be more people push, more human push, more um you know, support, human support behind it. So both would be my takeaway. Ashley, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, there were some, I mean, like I said, there were literally like hundreds of sessions. And so some of them are very much focused on a type of technology or, or a type of thinking or innovating within the federal IT workspace. Some of them were really specific to like, you know, a lot of things around, Again, like I said, the EHR came up a ton, even just by casual mention and everything. And then, but then there were also a lot of ones about how providers are leveraging existing technology to provide services in a new way. There was, you know, there was a lot of focus on some mental, not a lot of focus, but I saw several around leveraging social media and technology platforms for providing um, mental health care in a pandemic and even post-pandemic thing, right? You have a lot of people who are anxious and stressed and they're seeking out these services and, um, you know, trying to find a more effective way to reach out to this constituency. Um, there was one about someone was using TikTok um, to, to put out information about like pandemic mental health care, you know, I mean, like taking care of yourself in this or whatever. But so, so it was like the hardcore technology and then I am a provider of health services to people and this is how I use technology and leverage some of these tools and things that are out there. Um, but always, and then, but especially during this time, and then in a lot of cases, how it somewhat permanently shifted the way they will continue to provide some services, um, pandemic notwithstanding. You know, I think as I've been to some conferences, you know, like this, or just met with customers about, you know, mission, I, I think 
that's one of the areas that I that when we when we engage on programs, I think it's one of the reasons why we're always excited to work on you know what we kind of call you know mission area technology solutions. It's because kind of being able to add in some understanding of what the actual work domain is. Um, you know, I, I think about having worked on consular systems for for State Department, and you have conversations about well. Out of 270 locations, you know, some of them have bandwidth like you'd be sitting across the street, and and some of them are low-grade dial-up connectivity that – and, of course, I'm sure some of that has changed now, but when, when I was working on it, you know, l- low-grade dial-up that's not always available all the time. Um, you know, I think I, I've – I've been involved in things like that. I've I've had conversations with, um, you know, when you look at first responder, whether that be you know DHS, um, they're showing up on site that how they don't know when they're going to have access to power, they don't know when they're going to have access to Wi-Fi. Um, also, some of the the law enforcement solutions was like, have you ever tried to w- wear a tactical helmet and and tactical gloves? and type on a on a tablet um and just some some things like that that are real life use cases that they sound like oh okay well we'll just go ahead and note that down but it kind of informs everything that you're doing i mean it it it, the entire approach has to be shaped around the specifics of how it's going to be used um you know one of the kind of integrated Technology and health topics that I've heard, uh, you know, around federal programs for a long time is the concept of of telemedicine. I know just so many things, whether it's disaster recovery and they go, look, we can't get a bunch of doctors there. But if we could get an X-ray machine there, we could have somebody read an X-ray and, you know, almost anywhere. And a lot of commercial healthcare providers have done that. I mean, I don't know if you guys have done this, but, um, you know, our company, Healthcare, has a telemedicine feature. And uh, during COVID, at some point where you know one of us needed something at home from a healthcare standpoint, we're like, oh, well, I guess we don't have to go to the doctor. We did the telehealth thing, and they're like, yeah, that's probably this, and we'll um, you know get, get your prescription or something, so you don't have to actually go to the doctor. Which, with, at least for us, was never a big deal before, but. In the, in the height of the COVID standpoint where you're like, I don't think we want to go sit in a doctor's office right now. Um, so I, I've seen that on the commercial side. How much telemedicine type of, of conversation was there at, at, at HIMSS? Yeah, Emily, go ahead and tell them about the, that Army program that we saw that was so cool. Yeah, I would love to. This was one of my favorite sessions that we were able to sit in, and this was hosted at the Federal Health Pavilion. Um, So it was really interesting to learn about. It was a program called NETCN, N-E-T-C-N-N, and it was provided by DHA, but funded by parts of HHS. And essentially, to like explain like I'm five, it's a sort of like FaceTime for doctors where, um, you know, these rural communities that may only have one or two doctors, one or two surgeons um, in their networks of hospitals that are, you know, in a radius of 100, 150 miles, whatever it may be, who were completely overwhelmed by, you know, COVID 
patients needing care immediately um, and needing some pretty intense care, we're able to work with DHA at no cost to the hospital um, and essentially like ordered doctor support. Um, They were able to completely brief on their patients all through just a 4G network. They didn't even need high connectivity, which is a big problem um, for rural communities, of course. So low connectivity, we're able to just hop on, you know, talk through, chat through what's happening with their patients and and get that um, support on demand. Um, It really helped impact these um, smaller hospitals and the number of patients that they were able to treat, um, especially as they were, you know, becoming overwhelmed with COVID patients. So it was really cool to hear how telemedicine which has started, you know, only a couple of years ago, was able to impact um, something that none of us could have seen, which is that response to COVID. So, yeah, I really liked that session. Um, it was interesting that they said that they worked with a couple of uh, specific partners. I think Deloitte was one of them and another company. And these were the physician providers, right? And they provided these essentially on-call physicians Um that you know could be used for just these understaffed facilities, which obviously would have applicability as we continue to face doctor shortages uh, across the country, and especially in rural areas. Um, you know, could change you know the paradigm shift there about the quality of care that able to provide. You know, one of someone else's first question was, um, "Do you see this you know being com- you know a commercial offering?" And he's like, "Well, no, we're we're DHA, we're DHA, so whatever." But I wanted to say, I bet your boots those companies that are providing these doctors for you already have a commercial offering to do the same thing, you know, to contract out with some of these clinics and hospitals. Um, But yeah, it was definitely one of the cooler ones. And just to see how that program came together inside the federal government, you know, facilitated by DHA, funded by HHS, you know, made available just to the to the to the areas in need across the country. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I it was it was a while ago, but at one point, uh, I was involved in a HRSA program that, out of their rural health organization, that did focus groups around the country. So HRSA was funding focus groups that were in-person focus groups around the country to understand gaps in health coverage. Because, you know, data is one thing, and you can go and say, "Hey, I only have one data per X number of people in this county," or you know, those kinds of stats. But when you actually sit down with them and say, "You know, why don't you?" You know, if you haven't had a checkup, why didn't you go get one? And they say, well, actually, it's because the one doctor that we do have is all the way on the other side of the county. So it really isn't an even distribution where they're in the middle. So it's a two hour drive for me to go get there. And they're only uh, open during hours where I'd have to take an entire day off of work and I only get so much time off or I'm paid hourly, et cetera. So I think it's it, it's really Neat to see times like that where the federal government is able to understand requirements of because this country is really diverse. I mean, when we work on on systems for the government, one of the things that I always think is so interesting is their requirements are, are unique at so many times because sometimes it's geographic distribution global distribution, the encryption and security requirements are different, which can be interesting. And I've seen working on disconnected user scenarios where they say, look, we don't know how often these people are going to be able to be attached. And that's kind of easy to do now. 
but it didn't used to be. And so I think a lot of those kind of technology use cases, uh, the federal government at times is a, a, a forcing function to say that they have a requirement that they're willing to pay to have fulfilled because it may not be commercially viable for a commercial company to decide they want to offer uniform coverage across the country, but when the government prioritizes it and is willing to, you know, put funding behind it, it's it's interesting to see um, to see what what they can come up with. So, very neat kind of scenario. Encouraging when you can hear something like that, where the government's able to provide something that's that's helpful across the country. Um, so, as far as the conference, I, I know you said that there were you know, tons of sessions and forth. Um, were there specific speakers or anything that really stuck out to you as far as, hey, this was great. It was it was enlightening or, um, you know, there was some aspect of it. That it was, was compelling that it still sticks in your head, you know, several weeks after the conference now. Uh, actually, one of the last sessions that we went to was the CXO uh, conversation, and it was the former CIO from VA, uh, James Freer, um, and then Don Rucker, who's the former um, ONC National Coordinator for IT. And I had to actually look up um, ONC, but it's in Big HHS, it's the Office of the National Coordinator. But I guess they have different coordinate, you know, national coordinators around health. He, you know, so basically he was like the CIO there, uh, sort of advising technical direction for HHS. And you know, they talked a lot about sort of the the modernization and the things that they were trying to do in the agencies when they were there. You know, VA especially has we all know how the visibility that VA has been under. Uh, the last several years, um, and technology plays a not inconsequential part in helping create some of the improvements around services for the veterans. Um, but it was how much they didn't just talk about technology so much as they talked about like organizational change and culture and creating the organizations to provide these services um, so that the IT would better align with the mission that they were there to provide. Um, so, and then, you know, and, and then one of them actually, I think it was Freer from VA, recommended this book, can't remember what it's called, but it was written by this woman from Gartner. And basically it was like the Machiavellian approach to being a CIO. Um, and, but the whole point was, is that people consider a CIO in a lot of ways a very passive person or, um, you, you know, uh, not not a difference maker within the organization. And it really advocated for how that is not true and how to be sort of the lion in the CIO organization. And looking into that book a little bit after you recommended, he said it was like the best thing for, for a CIO to ever read. It made me sort of understand where he was coming from much more and sort of... Um, you know, really trying to be a force for change through the IT to meet the mission requirements within there. But a lot of it too was about um, creating the right team and creating the right culture and um, reinforcing um, the notion of what mission they were there to serve was. So it, it was just as much about, I think, organization and people as it was technology to Emily's point earlier. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting conversation to have, and I, I think any whether it's health IT or any any space where you've got 
technology leadership outside of the program organization. Um, I mean, I've 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 seen CIO and CTO organizations that were very much just recommendation driven, um, and they would try to suggest a target architecture, but the people that had programmatic funds could still spend them as they wanted. Uh, sometimes they were inserted into the procurement workflow, and then sometimes they drove everything. Uh, I mean, I've I've been a part of having a, a, an agency decide that they were going to consolidate all IT spending under the budget of the CIO, and n- now they spend the money. So it, it doesn't matter that you said you really liked you know, low-code platform, whatever. If that's not on the baseline, you're not going to use it. And um, you know, so I, I think there's, like anything else, every agency is different. There's no right answer for the way that should always be. And uh, I think when you get down to the, the people in the role – there are probably personality fits that are team builders and and facilitators and would uh, really thrive in an organization where even though they don't control any of the funding, they would they would be kind of organizationally change focused and move forward. And then there's others that would probably be, you know, a, from a, a program management kind of standpoint, would be more effective just owning all the money and saying, look, you give me your requirements, I'll build all your systems, and then uh, you let me know if you need you know, need something worked on. Um, I think the, the thing about um, the VA guy, uh, Freer, is that he presumably was there during, you know, the last five, seven years where there's been that huge focus on uh, veterans not being able to get appointments, no availability of their VA centers, and then sort of no visibility on how to help these folks, people waiting six months for appointments. And those are the kind of problems that, in large part, have been solved by technology, right? Unifying scheduling capabilities so you can create visibility into if this person can't be seen here, where can they be seen and and how to flex those resources. And so, uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously from a sort of how they provide healthcare is one thing that changes, but I think there was a lot of technology changes that went in to solving some of the VA's more high visibility challenges um, in the last couple of years. And so hearing, you know, him talk a little bit about his philosophy as a CIO, knowing that that's when he was there, it was pretty interesting. Oh yeah, the wolf in CIO's clothing is what the book is called, Emily just reminded me. I did download it on the audiobook. I haven't finished it yet. Very cool cover as well. It's enticing. <laughs> So there's one other thing I have to ask about. So as you guys were, you know, returning from the conference, I, I got a video texted to me uh, of a robot. What was the deal with the robot at the con? Because here's the thing: every now and then I've been to conferences where they try to have something cool and that kind of draws you in or whatever. Now I've not been to CES. I, I've never made that leap to say like, oh, I should go see that, but. You know, little stuff like, uh, oh, look, here we have a, a, a drone or here we have whatever. There was a robot. What was the deal with the robot? Um, we're best friends now. We're pen pals. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, uh, for, for you guys seem like you got along well. The video is posted <laughs> on our LinkedIn for those of you who are interested in seeing what it is. And I honestly cannot tell you what company that robot was repping. Like, oh. we immediately saw it, and I was like, Emily, you have to it was, talk to it. It was tunnel vision. We we locked eyes and, you know, robot eyes to human eyes, and I was like, I have to shake this robot's hand. 
walked up and we had a conversation. It, it can, it listens. It didn't hear me one time because, you know, we're in the conference floor. And so it said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And it turned its head where the speaker was to like come in and lean in and listen to me. Um, it was like having a conversation pretty much with a person. It, it was honestly wild. I have seen when I went to Afsia Rocky Mountain, which was two years ago now, I had seen the robot um, dogs before, but this was my first seeing like a more of a person, if you will. <laughs> he was so small. I just wanted to call him a robot child. Um, yes. <laughs> but it was, of course, Emily was like, I have to meet this robot. And I, of course, was like, well, then I have to film this. Yeah. And she said, can I shake your hand? And he said, not too tight. Yep. <laughs> wow. It, it was an impressively fluid interaction from the video that I saw. I mean, the thing initially when you we showed it, it, it looked a lot like if anybody has seen like the old like 1970s Buck Rogers TV show, there's a little robot named Twiggy that it looked a lot like that. Yeah. Except I think that thing just had a speaker in it that some that a human spoke through as opposed to <laughs> this was a little kind of. I don't know. How big is it? Like, was it like kid sized? Is that approximately how big a thing was? Yeah, it's probably four feet tall. Yeah, I'd say four, four, four and feet. a half feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it could move around. It could roll around like it definitely adjusted itself to like pivoted to face us as Emily was talking to him. And interestingly, as we walked away, like we were probably 50 feet, 100 feet away. And he was still watching Emily like like trained on Emily, I guess, until someone else comes to interact with it. It's just trained on that subject. Um, but yeah, it was it was a trip and it was it was a it was a fun thing. And uh, again, it's on our LinkedIn. Everyone check it out. Yeah. Shameless plug. Go check out our LinkedIn. You'll see. Shameless plug. Yeah, the best video from him. So it it was really cool. It was. You'll you'll notice at the end, um, Emily's eyes are kind of like saucers, uh, yes. based on the interaction itself. You know, a little bit of like amazement, maybe a little bit of fear. I'm not sure, <laughs> but it was, it was definitely it was definitely uh, funny for sure. Yes, it was a mix of emotions, and if you all could see my eyes right now, they'd be the same every time I think about the robot. Just full saucer. <laughs> No. Well, very cool. Well, fa thank you guys. I mean, I, I think it's it's super helpful to hear kind of the experience of going to a conference like that. And um, especially these multi-day conferences, I think now that COVID is 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 a thing, uh, the decision process is even more complicated if you're going to go to one of these conferences because you don't know exactly what to expect or, you know, is it still going to be, a, you know, feel like it is a, a reasonably beneficial interaction going to this conference or are you just there and it's segmented and it doesn't feel like it was helpful because it was so compartmentalized or whatever. Um, but it does, it sounds like there was, a lot of good content. Uh, the question I guess I'd have to, as we as we wrap up here is, so Hems is coming up again in the spring. Is that the next the next iteration? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you guys officially recommend it? Like, is this is it? You feel like this was a good use of you know three days? I think that for this one. It was a good learning experience for us about how to most effectively participate in HIMSS going forward. I think that we 
think from a participation standpoint, the networking opportunities are good. Visibility into what different agencies are doing is good. Um, even if it's stuff that we don't specifically do, having an understanding of where that segment of government health is going and, and looking to um, is always good from a situational awareness standpoint. So I think it just informed us on how to make the most of future HIMSS engagement. I was going to agree with Ashley, you know, definitely for anybody going into HIMSS, if you have never been, it is probably the largest show I personally have been to in my career. Yeah. Um, and as such, it's not something that you can go into kind of and float around, you know, really look at that schedule, really make your plan. Ashley and I had pre-picked a couple of our sessions, and I think that's why we were able to take some of those takeaways out. We did hear from others like, I don't even know where to start. Um, so they provide a lot of good materials leading up to the conference. So definitely closely review those as you guys are um, preparing. So yeah, I think I would go again for sure. Great. Yeah. I I do think that when they have some kind of either a domain or a technology, some kind of a focus, it makes it easier. I, I've I've gone a couple of times. I don't know if Fossey is still a thing, but Fossey used mm-hmm. to be like just the the giant federal contractor event. And I went once or twice. And I was like, you know, if you happen to sell, you know, a better kind of of waterproof boot or a helicopter maintenance app or uh, whatever, I can understand going and trying to uh, roll out your product or get people's Mm -hmm. attention. But as a general kind of service solution contractor, other than just stopping by to see people or network a little bit or or whatever, uh, it it was a bit overwhelming and kind of just, you know, not focused enough where I really felt like I got tremendous value from it. But um, him sounds sounds solid. So, I I mean, it it sounds like we're probably going to have have more people going in the future uh, than less, and it um, uh, seems like as they move it around, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, one consolidated location is always nice for a conference that you don't have to be, uh, you know, strung around or taking shuttle buses or or whatever. Well, great. Well, thank you. I, I hope everybody. Um, has has enjoyed the kind of general conversation around the the hymns 2021 uh we'll probably do this as we as we go to major conferences uh act iax uh imagination i believe is what they what they refer to now is a um is a big industry government industry conference um and We'll probably talk about that as we have some of these other ones that are that are booked. We will certainly uh, uh, you know, speak about those. You know, Ashley had just mentioned uh, that she and I attended a conference a couple years ago in uh, in San Francisco that was Semtech. It was a semantic modeling technology conference that because we had, were doing a a pilot program at our company, uh, we got invited to come to, and th- that is probably also an example of something that was really, really focused around the technology area that when when people were interested in that technology, that was be- definitely a place to uh, a place to be. But I, I don't know that we um, 
I don't know how deeply we fit into the that that overall community. Was that was that your recollection, Ashley? It was. Well, we were there though with like a partner company. To your point about why you go there because you have something to roll out or show, yeah. and they they did right. They had a a low code solution. They were you know based out of the Netherlands, um, and so they really belonged there. And us being sort of their federal partner, we tagged along right. and did some boothing uh, to talk to some federal customers and that kind of stuff. But absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that was so that was Simtech back um, a few years back. Uh, so and just as some notes for other things that we will be attending. So you could probably also look for uh, an episode as a recap. We're going to be going to Dotus uh, later this winter. Uh, there is an AWS uh, conference coming up. And there's also tentatively, I believe, a, uh, uh, a software factory conference. That's the one that's supposed to be in Detroit in December that uh, I think we we may be going to. Um, I know I'm really excited about about the weather for that, but uh, we will let you know which ones we're going to be uh, attending. Uh, you can also uh, keep up on our uh, our activities like that. The the news link on our website, HighlightTech.com, or our LinkedIn feed is always a really good source. Uh, Highlight Technologies, the, the LinkedIn feed for where we are and, and who's doing what inside of the company. So our next episode, we are going to go back into our uh, deeper dive of DevSecOps with some of the technology notes and uh, explaining some of the intricacies of what certainly sounds really, really intricate, but seems like it operates like a, a well-oiled machine when the right people are doing it. So uh, we will get back to that, but um, that will conclude uh, today. So thank you to to Kevin, to Ashley, to Emily. Uh, thanks, everybody, very much for listening, and we will talk to you on the next Highlight Cast. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and or any agency of the U.S. government.